welcome to the First Lutheran Church located at 512 South Cale Avenue in Miles City with pastoral services provided by Pastor Steve Rice. The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fifth chapter. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and, when he saw him, fell at Jesus' feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people from the leader's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. I trouble the teacher any further. But overhearing what was said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, He said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talita kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. 
she was twelve years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this, and he told them to give her something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated, and again, welcome. Um, our lesson uh, that Andrea read, uh, I don't know where she's going. Where are you going? No, okay. Uh, she'll be back. Uh, our first lesson included that description that we touched on last week of God as compassionate. We talked about the word then, compassion, uh, meaning to suffer with. Okay, passion, meaning suffer co-passion, compassion, to suffer with one of the essential characteristics of God as far back as, well, Jeremiah the prophet. Our God is a God who suffers with us, not a God far off. And today's lesson, if we uh, take a look at that, contains a miracle within a miracle, right? Pretty rare that, a miracle within a miracle. And I notice that sometimes they present these as two separate lessons, and um, I suspect that Mark did not insert this second miracle within the first without a reason. Uh, and so I think Mark wants us, intends that we see both of these occurring simultaneously, if you will. I think that's important. The curing of an ill woman and the raising of a child from death. Both accounts deal with human Grief. Grief, okay? On the one, the woman experienced um, her own losses. Who knows what losses she had to uh, endure and sustained over 12 years of hemorrhaging. The other, in the form of the parents, in their anticipatory grief, Okay, their anticipatory grief, knowing that their 12-year-old, their little daughter, was nearing, steadily nearing death. So let us, as we begin a few moments looking at these two together, not separating them, but trusting that Mark did this for a reason, let us begin with uh, another um, hearing of part of the uh, book of the Lamentation of Jeremiah. He wrote this after Babylon had uh, destroyed Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem, still much in the news, huh? Jerusalem, the crown jewel of uh, God's people. After it had been overcome by the Babylonians, Jeremiah wrote, How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become she that was great among the nations, she that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. 
All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. Her foes have become the masters, her enemies prosper, because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away captives before the foe. Grief. Not a patriotic sermon this morning. We stand as Wednesday the 4th of July, as far distant from that day on Sunday as we possibly can be. And the texts appointed uh, lead us to the consideration that I think is worthy of having. Grief. Grief. Okay. The men and women of the busy gospel lesson today with this two miracles occurring in the same uh, passage. They were acquainted with grief, were they not? Grief experienced as that prolonged sadness that, that penetrates both body and soul, that emptying of the spirit that is, I think, unique to the human heart. We find it today again in the body, the physical body of a woman plagued by unrelenting uh, illness compounded by primitive efforts to treat and diagnose. She knew what persistent grief was like and the weariness that comes with it. Experienced also in the souls of two desperate parents as they pressed through the crowd toward Jesus. One last hope, one last hope to save their fading daughter's life. That is anticipatory grief. They knew what was coming, and they were afraid, fear. Huh? And so this persistent grief and this anticipatory grief, these things were closing in uh, on the lesson today. And I offer to you the question, who but we grieve? Who but humans grieve? I often encounter grief as love's mirror image. For who grieves those that you do not love or did not know? Who grieves? Grief has to do with loss, to be sure. Either experienced or anticipated. Always real and always very personal. And if today's words remind that humans are capable of grief, also they, so too do they remind us in the scene uh, before us that people are capable of great insensitivity to the grief of others. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Their world had just fallen apart. And yet, for some, it seemed reason enough to go back to things as they were. Those who did not know just could not understand until it would be their turn to grieve. Okay. Grief is not business as usual, and thus the insensitive remark offered sort of out of nowhere it came, elicited a very fast reprimand by Jesus. The child is not dead, but sleeping. And of course, the response, they laughed at him. 
Those who scoffed resulted in Jesus' words then, very important words to the parents. Okay? Do not fear, only believe. Now, again, we know in Mark's gospel, as we consider it together, that uh, the opposite of fear in Mark's gospel is consistently faith. Faith in the face of fear. Uh, The opposite of fear is not courage or bravery or what the world tells us. But rather, Jesus says the opposite of faith. That which can overcome fear is faith. Faith. Do not fear. Only believe. While grief might be a universal human emotion, though, I suggest to you and submit to you that faith is not. Particularly faith in Jesus Christ. Fear is universal. Grief is universal. But faith is not. And to we as Lutherans, particularly, we understand faith as itself a gift of God. Okay? Some of you will recall. Uh, the explanation to the third article of the creed. I believe that by my own reason or strength I cannot come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior or believe in him except that I'm called by the Holy Spirit. So for us, faith itself is a gift, and that's not to be taken lightly. Notice next that Jesus separated the sheep from the goats, um, those with faith, those absent faith, as he approached Jairus' house, uh, uh, the 12-year-old daughter's bed her deathbed, as they had just been informed. And Jesus only brought with him the yet grieving father and mother, along with Peter, James, and John, the inner circle. And they became a family of faith in that moment, I would submit. And there Jesus took the child's hand, and he spoke to the child. In the presence of those who had faith, in the presence of those who in faith, Uh, uh, took such extraordinary steps to reach out to him, Jesus spoke. He spoke powerful and consequential words. So powerful, so consequential, by the way, that the early church in writing the New Testament did not translate Jesus' words that he spoke to that little girl uh, into Greek, but rather they left them as Jesus spoke them in Aramaic. He said to this child who had died, Talita kum, little girl, get up. Whereupon we are told she rose and was restored and to underscore what had just happened, that it was she, Jesus told those present to give her something to eat. Inserted now, inserted within this miracle is another miracle. We encounter a woman, we know not her name, but a suffering woman whose illness had disrupted her life, ruined her financially, separated her in relationship over many years. The same number of years as the child was old. This woman's incentive, it seems, is pretty clear. It needed no reinforcement. And while she needed no further incentive to do what she did, what she did need was the strength of faith was the strength born of faith. The woman had to summon the strength, the physical strength and the faith to press through a crowd 
in order to get to Jesus, for her faith told her, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And that became what drove her. That's what drove her. Both the parents of the child and the woman had to overcome physical challenges to get to Jesus, and they seemed willing to do that. But what was more important, um, you know, although they had to, to, to overcome the pressing physical barricade of people, and also harsh and dismissive words of cynics, what they had to do was to summon the faith uh, sufficient to persist. The woman's faith had to overcome the disincentive, the physical, emotional, spiritual toll that had been taken over the decades by her illness in order to approach Jesus. Now, you know, I've never had a 12-year hemorrhage. I can't simply relate to that, but I have had 12 cycles of chemotherapy. And I know that the exhaustion, that exhaustion does not, um, does not compound, but it grows exponentially. It's such that by number 12, the battle is no longer physical alone, but profoundly spiritual. And so in the crush of those around Jesus, the woman understood that she stood a real chance of just being knocked down, trampled upon. And again, I submit what drove her. What drove her? Faith. Faith, where physical strength alone couldn't go. Faith. And Jesus was, of course, enormously, Jesus was enormously sensitive to the presence of faith didn't matter where he found it. Roman soldiers, <laughs> desperate woman, parents of a dying and now dead child. Jesus was always enormously sensitive to the presence of faith. Even in the crowd, Jesus knew he was in the presence of faith. Who touched me? Who touched me? And as a consequence of faith, those in both miracles of today's gospel lesson receive what they sought. Why? Because their faith proved sufficient. Their faith, subfused with grace and humility, accomplished that which otherwise was not accomplishable, could not be achieved. In the words of Lamentations, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul that seeks him. When we grieve, when we grieve, when we suffer loss, and I look upon your faces over these three-plus decades, and I don't see a face out there that has not grieved and suffered loss. When we grieve and suffer loss, the challenges, they are many and multifaceted, aren't they? You widows, where there are not only economic challenges, but the challenge of being alone the first time in a long time. A pressing crowd or awkward offers of help will be there for you. Yeah. The physical loss is very real, but perhaps I suggest to you the greater challenge for those of us who have grieved, who have lost children, the greater challenge for the living is always the spiritual dimension of grief. The spiritual dimension of grief. 
Grief is a profound spiritual encounter with loss. And if we acknowledge loss, and only if we will acknowledge loss as spiritual, can we understand that grief's remedy is also spiritual. It's not time will heal you. I know people who after many years were still bitter and still grieving. But if we will acknowledge that loss is itself a spiritual experience, then too can we acknowledge that grief's remedy is spiritual. The remedy for grief is faith. The remedy for grief is faith. Consider again Israel. How many times beaten down and how many times restored. Never losing faith that they would be restored. Consider Jesus who in his humility was scorned by scribes and Pharisees and yet possessed of such faith that he was confident that he could endure the cross and even the grave trusting that the Father would raise him on the third day. Mm. Now let's bring this home. To your own grief, you have experienced loss. Consider your own grief. Consider your own encounter with the pain of that loss. How like Jerusalem were you? How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become, she that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Over the course of thousands of years, the truth remains the same. Grief is spiritual. The relief from your grief is also, therefore, spiritual. Not denial, not bitterness, not anger. These two are destructive, not redemptive. In times of grief, hold fast to your faith. Hard to do, I know. For the Lord, writes Jeremiah, will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. Compassion. Compassion. When you suffer, know that God suffers. The crucifix. The crucifix reminds us of a suffering God. God not only suffered instead of you, but suffered ahead of you. Grief. Good grief. It can be ours if we approach this most profound of human experiences spiritually. Spiritually. There's an emotional element to it. There's a financial element to it. There's all kinds of elements. But the element upon which we as people of faith must focus is the spiritual element of grief.
if we ever hope to have our joy restored in the morning. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this production of the First Lutheran Church. We welcome you to visit us in person at 512 KL Avenue. You can also find us on Facebook at First Lutheran Church, Miles City, Montana, and email us at flc at midrivers.com.